Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. With Steve, we started this church about three and a half years ago, and uh, it's just—it's just been a roller coaster ride. But it's just been so fun, and um, just the amount of people that have come along and the quality of people—it's just blown us away. And so we—we're just excited that we get to do this together. So, move all my things out of the way. It's a bit low as well. Okay, so we're nearly at the end of our series on living free. We've had a great term, haven't we? We've discussed all sorts of things, relationships, sex, depression, mental illness, um, what else have we touched on? Singleness. It's It's been such a great series. And today, I'm going to talk about money. Only it's not really about money. It's about what God wants. It's not about what God wants from us. It's about what God wants for us. And whenever we dare to believe what God says about giving, we will be set free. When we put the truth about God and our money into practice, we will be inviting the supernatural to invade the natural. And when that happens, our lives will never be the same. A few years ago, the the BBC did a mini-series called Britain's Spending Habits. Did anyone watch that? And Anne Robinson, she spent some time with um, the very rich, the very poor, and people in the middle and try to find out how we spend our money and what, what it says about us and can it really make us happy. And it gave us an insight into what is normally a very private aspect of British life. Most people get very uncomfortable when talking about money. They don't want, to know how, don't want other people to know how much they make or how they spend it or what they do with it. But during this programme, Anne said this. She said, it's hard to think of another subject other than money that could reveal so much about who we really are. No wonder we squirm and wriggle and pretend talking money is vulgar. In fact, it exposes far too much our upbringing, our competitiveness, our envy, our aspirations, what lies at the heart of us. Talk about money, she says, and there's nowhere to hide. So that's what we had uh, Dolly Parton last week. This week we've got Anne Robinson. So, money is one of the hardest subjects to talk about today, and that's also true in the church. But the Bible has so much to say, and if we're willing to invest it as God intends us to, he promises that that return on that investment will be nothing short of amazing. I'm going to be using some notes from John Wright, who leads the Vineyard UK and Ireland, and um, along with another book that I've read as well, which I'll tell you a bit about later. And as an aside to anybody that might be here for the first time, I'm aware that the very first talk you hear is on a subject that most people in polite society never talk about. So my, but my hope is that today you'll find this interesting, you'll find it freeing, you'll find it helpful, and I just want to be completely, completely clear, we are not after your money. And I just want to highlight some of the things that the Bible says that I just think are really fascinating. So the Bible talks about money a lot. There are over 2,000 references to money and possessions in the Bible. 
And apart from the subject of the kingdom of God, Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject. So I'd like us to take a look at a few verses from Matthew chapter 6, where he's talking very clearly about this issue. It'll come up on the screens, but if you want to look at it up in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. And it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what I want to do today is to ask and answer three very simple questions that will that kind of spring naturally from this text. And Jesus encourages us to store up treasure. And the three questions are, who for, where, and why? Obviously for those people that write avid notes. Um, so starting off with the first question, who for? Now this is a fairly well-known passage for many, and it can actually be misread. And at first glance, you may assume that Jesus is saying, be selfless, don't keep the money you have for yourself, give it to God. And it's true that we to not deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. But let's just look back at those two verses again and note a very surprising use of the two words which apply to storing up treasure. So it says, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And those two words there, they're repeated twice. Both of them are storing up treasures for ourselves. Jesus is giving us an incentive here to store up treasure. He's actually saying do it for yourselves. Quite mind-blowing. He's actually appealing to the motive of what's best for me in the long term. And just to give it some context, this passage comes in the chapters where Jesus gives some really practical wisdom about a whole load of things to do with living your life and how to do it. And what I find interesting is that he uses the same primary or related motivation in all of these passages. So let's just have a quick look a bit further back in chapter 6. So starting off with verse 3, it says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus wants us to be rewarded, and he's saying that these things will ultimately be best for us. Far from God not being able to handle money or from him being a stingy God who's after our money, Jesus is saying that if you want to be rewarded, if you want to have a great return on your investment, live like this. We can get into the trap of thinking that we owe God. God has done so much for her, for us, hasn't he? You know, he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived here on earth. He died for us. He he took our sins um, on him, and, he, and, and he, he wanted us to get to know him. So isn't it time we do something for God? And we're in this tug of war, aren't we, between, within ourselves. But the idea that we are motivated by shoulds and oughts is not consistent with the overall teaching of the Bible. 
The message of Jesus is intended to be good news for us. It's our Father's heart to do us good. It's his heart to bless us and to give us real return for our investments. And the Bible clearly teaches this. Follow Jesus and it will turn out better for you. It doesn't mean to say that everything will be plain sailing. But invest in the things that he tells you to invest in. And he loves to bless you with his wonderful returns. It's in our long-term interest to obey Jesus in the area of money. It is in every single area. It's in our interest. He doesn't just say these things to make our lives hard. He does them for our good. So it might at first glance seem selfish to do something because we gain for it, but it's no accident that Jesus talks about what's, what's best for us in this passage and everyone where else is a, a legitimate motivation. He wants to reward us. So the key question is where? So let's look at the text again. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So in this passage, Jesus is basically advising us where to store up our treasure. And he gives us two options. You can store it up on earth or in heaven. So what does storing up treasure on earth look like? It's an inclusive term. It includes more than money. And it certainly includes it, but it's, um, it's, it's, what the, it, it's, the, it's the obvious application. But it goes way beyond that. So what's the problem with storing up treasures on earth? Well, it tells us here in verse 19, everything is hard to keep hold of. It's decaying or depreciating, or it could just get nicked. I hate to break the news to you. If you drove here or cycled here today, your car or your bike is slowly rusting away as you're sitting here. Your fridge motor is slowly burning out. The paint on your windows is slowly coming off. Your phone is depreciating in value as we speak. Your body is getting older and deteriorating. Everything is decaying. Everything can be stolen and everything is temporary. John D. Rockefeller, he is widely thought to have been one of the most wealthiest men that has ever lived. All women, probably, wealthiest people. At the time of his death in 1937, his personal fortune in today's terms was estimated at about $340 billion. But after he died, the big question in the press was, how much did he leave? And so, uh, I think at a press conference, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And the accountant just simply said, he left all of it. Yeah. He left all of it. And you, th that's the thing, you can't take any of this with you when you die. So what's the alternative? What are treasures in heaven and how do we store them there? Rich Nathan, who's a vineyard pastor in Columbus, he said this. I think we might have that, yeah. Treasure in heaven is anything that you will keep forever. What, whatever we do for Jesus, the poor we help in his name, the people we're kind to, the kids we teach, the use of our money for the things of God, these things are the treasures of heaven, and we send them on ahead of us. Now the Bible, it paints some word pictures of what heaven will be like, which we don't have to, we don't have time to look at today, but one thing we do know is that we're not going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. Sorry to disappoint you. But there will be a whole load more creative, fun, fulfilling stuff that we get to do. But the Bible is clear 
that the experience of heaven won't be the same for everyone. Some people will get into heaven as though one escaping through the flames. I think it says in 1 Corinthians where it talks about that. You know, by the skin of their teeth. They're saved by Jesus and they'll, inter they'll enjoy eternity fine, but they didn't really invest much with their lives. And so they're in and they'll enjoy eternity, but there'll be others who'll be rewarded. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Today you get to share in your master's happiness. And basically, you then get the reward that you've amassed for yourself that God wants to give us back. Just my mind. There's a great little book um, by a guy called Randy Alcorn. <laughs> um, he's American. Um, he's a man who lives what he writes. And um, if you want to read it, you must fasten your seatbelts. Uh, it's so challenged me as I've been reading it. Um, I think he gives... 90 to 95% of his income away, but lives such an exciting and dynamic life. And he says in this book, um, Jesus takes that profound truth, you can't take it with you, and adds a stunning qualification. By telling us to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, he gives us a remarkable corollary, which I call the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's that simple. And if that doesn't take your breath away, you're not understanding it. Anything we try to hang on to here will be lost, but anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. If we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. And Randy uses the analogy of the dot and the line. And he uses it this way. Our lives have two phases. First of all, the dot. I think it should be on the screen. Oh, the screen's died. Um, so the dot and the line. And the dot represents our life on Earth. It begins and it ends. It's very brief. But from that dot extends a line that goes on forever. And that line represents eternity, which followers of Jesus will spend with him. Now, right now, okay, right now, we're living in the dot. You see that? It's very small. We're living in the dot. But what are we living for? The short-sighted person consumed just by the cares of this world live for the dot. They don't see beyond that. But the person with the eternal perspective lives for the line. And in this passage, Jesus is essentially saying, live for the line and not the dot. Imagine that suddenly our country announces that it's re-denominating its currency. We've had incredibly high inflation, so for a time they're going to swap over our old currency for the new one. But after a while, the old currency won't have any value. It's just completely worthless. So wisdom would suggest that you want to convert the cash you have all lying around the house and get it together and convert it to the new currency and convert it to something that's going to survive the change. And so in the same way, Jesus is advising us to convert our earthly, earthly currency into a heavenly currency. Converting it to something that's going to survive the dot. And we do this by giving to God, by investing in his kingdom, storing up treasure where it's going to last. Yes, no dribbles. So, building on what we've seen already, why should we store up treasure in heaven? 
Jesus teaches that if we invest in his kingdom, we will have a guaranteed return now and into eternity. But while the, the major incentive of our investment may be that we'll, re we'll be re re rewarded multiple times in the age to come, it's also true that we can expect to return here and now. Jesus said it's more blessed to receive, to give than to receive. He said, give and it will be given to you. And investing in God's kingdom provides so many blessings. I haven't got time to go into all of them today, but I just wanted to give you a few fringe benefits of giving in this life. So first of all, there's an increased freedom from the grip of money. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that grip of money? The more things we own, the greater their mass, the more their gravitational pull, the more they tend to grip us and the more they, they tend to own us. And giving breaks that bond. It sets us free from the hold that our possessions have over us. They're servants to us. We can use them, but we don't serve them. So increase freedom from the grip of money. The second one is increased financial security. It's a, this is a weird one, isn't it? It feels like it's really counterintuitive. You think, no, I need to keep everything that I own. I need to amass it all for myself, and then I'll be financially secure. But God says, no, if you trust me with a portion of your income, I will look after you, provide for you according to his glorious riches. Steve and I went through a few years where our just for a few, yeah, literally a few years where our outgoings were more than our income. And every time we were faced with not having enough, we'd increase our giving. And we'd increase our tithe and we'd give to other, other people, give extra money away. And I kid you not, month after month, we would have enough. It just works in a topsy-turvy way. It's got to the point now where it's illegal for us to worry about money. Because we've seen God provide time after time. He gives you, he's the one that gives you financial security. Whereas if we try to hold on to it, it just doesn't work like that. Number three, there's, there's just increased joy. Um, well, this comes as, as just a byproduct of giving. When we, when we become invested in what we give to, we play a part in kingdom work. In our church, around the world, wherever we've invested, our, our hearts grow bigger and more full of joy as we see how our gifts impact people and impact the world for Jesus. Steve and I, uh, for most of our married life, we've given at least 10% of our gross income towards whichever church we've been a part of. And on top of that, we've given more than that to various projects. And part of the joy of being able to do that is we've seen some of the impact of the money we've given. And many of you will be able to relate to that as well. So every time we hear a baptism testimony, we know that we've contributed to that person's life being changed in this life and into eternity. What? What a joy! Every time we listen to stories of people being transformed by the job club, or people coming to the English school, eight people now, eight people now, Thursday, ten. Oh my goodness, it's gone up. Um, we know that we've contributed. It's such a privilege. You know, we're thinking of starting a Bible study for some of these people. We're praying about that. And I'm so excited to hear of the lives of people being transformed in the new site in Battersea as a result of what we give. Every time we consider what it's going to be like to meet Jesus on that final day, 
we will be joined by thousands who have come to know him through the life of this church. And we know that we play a part in joining with many of you and with God to make that possible. Fourth one, another byproduct is increased meaning in life. Um, we're nearly at Christmas, 23 sleeps away. 23. And I'm sure many of you might watch the Christmas Carol um, over the next few weeks. Um, Scrooge was described as miserable, and that word miserable comes from the root word miser, miserable. And he held on to everything that he had, and then he discovered the happiness that came from sharing his wealth. Um, the great 19th century missionary, J. Hudson Taylor, he said this, The less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. I love that. And the last one is increased intimacy with God. When I give, we feel his pleasure. And what, what is it to do with our money that is so important to him? Well, let's just look at the last verse that we read right at the beginning. Verse 21. It just says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And our treasure and our money and our possessions and our hearts are closely intertwined. They're tied together. I don't know if you noticed, even in the Anne Robinson quote, she made, she made the same point. She said, it's harder to think of another subject other than money that could reveal so much about who we really are. It exposes what lies at the heart of us. And the heart is the control center of our beings. It's where we make our decisions. It's how we think about life. It's what we daydream about. And we tend to think as we look at the heart and money that if someone's heart is captured, their money follows. And that is true sometimes. You know, a, a guy from Sregal, and before you know it, there's purchases of jewellery and eating out at restaurants and all sorts of things that he couldn't afford to do before he met her. Um, but his money follows his heart and the priority goes towards her. So it certainly happens that way that money can follow our heart, but Jesus is saying something in addition here. He's saying something quite different. And he said, while it's true that our treasure will go where our heart is, it's also true that our heart follows our treasure. He says, change your treasure distribution and watch what happens to your heart. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is, you'll be able to tell by checking your bank statement, what you do with your money. If you wonder whether it's true that our hearts follow our treasure, I suggest you do this. Gather some money together and spend it all investing in one particular company. It could be Microsoft, could be Apple, whatever. Buy as many shares as you can and see then if your allegiance to that company grows. You'll suddenly find that you're more interested in how that company's doing. You'll be waiting for the latest product to come out. You'll find yourself willing to ex for it to expand and you'll be delighted to hear stories of it doing so well. So you don't have to make a decision to be focused on that company's success. It's just a natural consequence of the fact that you've invested your money there. And Jesus says it's the same with the kingdom of God. God knows how the heart works. You give and your heart follows. So don't wait for your heart to change. Put your treasure where you want your heart to be. If you want your heart to be invested in the kingdom of God, then invest in the kingdom. If you find yourself wishing to be connected more to God, invest financially in your relationship with him. If you find yourself wanting to be more connected to your church, <coughs> invest in its work. Where your treasure is, 
there, your heart will follow. So, th- and this is what I was saying right at the beginning, God doesn't actually really care about money. He cares about our hearts. God isn't short of money. He's not that bothered about money. He could fund the church through whatever means he wanted to, but he's chosen to do it through us because he knows the intertwined connection between our money and our hearts. He wants our hearts. And just so another little quote from my mate Randy. God wants your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for, for his kingdom, those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time and prayers where they will matter most. So as we, as we come into land, and let's say you want to invest more than maybe you do currently in God's work, well, how much should you give? Well, let me just put it like this. If you ask your financial advisor, how much do I need to save or invest for, for my retirement? He might say, or she might say, uh, well, how much do you want to have for your retirement? The return's going to be in direct proportion to your investment. And so what would Jesus say in answer to the question, how much should I invest in your kingdom? And he might answer, well, how much treasure in heaven do you want? Your return is going to be in direct proportion to your investment. And it's certainly, our, it's, it's just entirely our choice. What we do with our money now will determine what heaven will be like for us later. It's not the only determinant, but it is one of the key ones. God is wanting to reward us and wanting to bless us. So if you already give, I just encourage you just to look at your giving and pray about any adjustments. And if you're not yet giving, I'd really encourage you to to start. And you might think, oh my goodness, the percentages you've talked about today are a bit steep. You know, we've talked about 10% being a really good guideline, and you might just say, well, that's too much. I can only, I can only do 1%. Brilliant. Like, God will lead you, and, and you'll start to see that multiplying. But start small. It's such an exciting adventure. I love giving. I love giving money. And, and this is an exciting topic. This isn't a taboo subject. This is an exciting one where you get to share in the adventures of God. And so there's forms there on the seat next to you. And this isn't to cajole you to start in the standing order to church. Or, you know, it, there's no manipulation here at all. But it's an invite into an adventure. If you want to make a change, you can do it on the, on the sheets or you can do it online. But I just encourage you, review your giving. Look at what you have coming in and decide what, you, what amount you want to give. And, of course, and giving to the church, that's only one small part. On top of your regular commitments, <coughs> let's keep looking for opportunities to give to others. We get to hear wonderful stories here, don't we, about people with almost no money giving to people that have no money. Remember a few weeks ago, Steve did that really awkward thing where he just said, who's got £10 and who wants £10? And um, a lady came who was just so brave coming forward. And you as a church produced hundreds of pounds to help her and it managed to pay for her rent, which she just didn't have for that month. Such a powerful picture. This is love in action. This is the kingdom of God being released through us. And there are needs all around the church and, and... How it works in the body of Christ is one part hurts and the other part lifts each other up. And I'd love to see money flowing all over the church and way beyond the church, into our friends, into our neighbourhoods, into our friends, and for us to be known as people who reflect God.
These are such good and exciting days for our church. And as we move forward and we consider the challenge of reaching beyond Ballon, moving into Battersea, becoming a multi-site church, we'd love to invite you on this adventure of making an impact together. Our aim is to be a church which changes the lives of thousands of people in our community, that rewrites the story of our city. I love the phrase that Causeway Coast Vineyard have, which is, we are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. We're building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. And that's the goal, isn't it? To see this city, this nation, this world transformed by the power of the gospel. And our generosity is just one way to make that possible. God is the most generous person in the universe. We get, get to express his nature. Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you that you don't need our money. But you get to reveal something about our money through our hearts. And we just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that you invite us into this adventure with you. And would you speak to us? Would you, would you challenge us? Would you call us higher? We, just, we, invite your, um, we invite your Holy Spirit just to be speaking to us in this whole area of money. And we just acknowledge that all we have is from you anyway. It's all from you. The ability to make money is from you. And we just give you, we just surrender everything to you again today. We thank you that you are so good, that you want to reward us, that you want to give to us. that you're such a good father and we pray for people today that literally have no money we thank you that you are the god who provides we just release your blessing over people in this church that don't have money we ask that you pour your blessing out on them would we see the needs of others and respond with your heart Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.